Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, and the rest of the Twinkle EYFS team as we talk honestly about our experiences as practitioners, teachers and professional nappy changers. Whether you're listening to increase your CPD hours or catching up on our antics whilst driving home from work, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello, wonderful listeners. It's Shana here from Twinkle Talks EYFS with another episode in our mini series of Twinkle Talks Around the World. Today, I'm going to be talking to my wonderful colleague and friend, Liesl, who was an early years teacher in South Africa. Really, really exciting to see what's happening halfway across the world, right? But before we get there, we're going to have a little fun segment looking at Twinkle Talks Top 3. guys have voted for your favorite thing depending on what I've put on social media and this week in light of the festive season it being Easter and all that we decided to look at the top three Easter chocolate here we go so of course there are thousands and thousands of chocolates so we would be here forever if I listed all of them but I narrowed it down to four which I thought were like the top four we have mini eggs the cream egg the lint bunny and the Malteser bunny. Now the Malteser bunny is a new one, but I thought we'd include it and I actually think it's rather tasty. Before we even get there, funny story about the cream egg. Cream egg for me is absolutely disgusting. Nothing wrong with it at all. However, when my mother was pregnant with me, she had a craving for mini eggs and that's all she ate while I was inside her tummy. So ever since I've been born, cannot stand cream eggs. I have overdosed on them in the womb. I shall have them no more. Uh, But anyway, enough about my strange stories. 254 of you voted in this poll. Obviously, very serious discussion here. In third place was the Lint Bunny with 13.8% of the vote. Maybe it'll take a couple more years for Malteser Bunny to overtake it. Who knows? Now, this is the big one. I think this is where people were torn. You're either Team Mini Egg or Team Cream Egg. I won't tell you what I am until after. Wait, you probably know already from that story. Never mind. In second place, with 23.2% of the vote, is Cream Egg. See, people agree with me. So that means in the first spot, with a massive 50% of the vote, it's Mini Eggs. Of course, Mini Eggs reign supreme, guys. There is literally no other perfect Easter chocolate. You prove me wrong. You can't. 50% agree with me. And that was just of the people that voted. Hashtag Mini Eggs. All right, they reign supreme. End of discussion. If your friends disagree with you, send them to this poll, okay? The earliest practitioners have voted. Okay, I feel like I'm getting too serious about this now. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> okay, see? So that should hopefully end all arguments in the earliest staff rooms across the UK. Mini eggs reign supreme. 
So now we've got that fun little top three out the way, we're going to go into our main event as part of our mini series of Twinkle Talks Around the World, where I talk with my wonderful friend Liesl about what it's like to teach early years in South Africa. thank you so much for agreeing to come and have a chat with me about what it's like in South Africa. I am very excited to find out. But before we get there, why don't you tell us about yourself, about how you came to England, what, what how you came to work for Twinkle and how you became a teacher in South Africa as well? Okay. Hi, Shana. Really nice to meet you. And thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Um, so yeah, this is a, a really a first for me. And it, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, let's just maybe start at the basics. So um, yeah, I was always um, ready to be a teacher and obviously a mum because one of my biggest life dreams was to be a mum, you know, and um, yeah, and I always just had this thing for children, you know, um, cousins and friends and family always, you know, spending time with the children. There was just always this kind of motherly part that I think, you know, I have a hope I have, you know, and then when I finished school, you know, at the age of 18, I really wanted to go into, um, I really wanted to do um, psychology to be fair as at oh. first. And I actually did start off studying psychology. And um, then after a year, I just realized, but you know what, this was just not me. And I just realized, no, this, I can't do this. I need to have that one-to-one interaction with a child where there's no barriers, no restrictions in terms of professionality between, you know, and I actually then changed my course to early child education and you know I didn't regret it for one moment because I then realized you know what this is what I want to do I want to be in a classroom with children you know and preferably young younger children you know I mean gosh I think the older kids would really walk over me you know (laughs) but just where I could be you know a teacher be myself and let them be themselves you know so I ended up doing my honest degree and after that my master's degree you know and wow but in a nutshell, so um, yes, my husband is British, and um, and you know what, you've got a really nice, unique perspective. You taught in South Africa, mm-hmm. but you've got children in England who follow yes. the English earliest curriculum. So you've got you can see from both sides, as in from literally both sides of the world, but also from a teacher and from a parent perspective. Yes which is quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, I reckon you've learned like loads, which is so exciting. A lot, yes. And I mean, and I'm still learning because I mean, gosh, if I just think of, you know, like say, for example, in South Africa, we have what we call grades. You know, so you have, you know, children have grade R, which is our reception. And yeah. And grade one, two, three, all the way up to grade 12, you know. And I mean, um, children can, I say children, you know, learners can finish, I think it's about the age of 16, um, you know, which is like grade 10, you know, if they don't want to further their education, you know, the higher education, but if you want to say go to varsity and so you have to um, finish grade 12 and whereas here for example you have the years and key stage one key stage two and I mean I kind of think I follow it now especially that my daughter's now started reception last year September but it's still very you know different to to you know hours in South Africa so I'm kind of learning along with her now if it makes sense and there is differences there's similarities so I'm learning learning as I'm going (laughs) I love that I mean aren't we all because let's be honest things change I mean we with the reforms in the earliest foundation stage in 2021 you know we've had to learn an entire well I say entire new curriculum but yeah we've had to you know relearn with the children as well so we're with you we're with you Liesl we're all learning (laughs) but I have already picked up on some things that I found interesting and it might not seem interesting to you but it's different words 
So I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, varsity means university. University, yeah. That's just now my South African. No, I love it. It's very like, yeah. but it's very exciting. And yeah. like you say, you've got grades, but they kind of sort of match yeah. up to our years. Our key stages you call phases, am I right? Yeah, so 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 pretty much how I always kind of, in my head, I always try to say it's more or less, key stage one is more or less what we call in South Africa, you know, the foundation stage. Mm. Key stage two is more or less what is our inter immediate phase and so forth no that's no it's really good because um I was speaking to Stacy from Australia and she we had the same thing because we call it EYFS but in Australia they call it EYLF see I've already I've already forgotten Lisa yeah. there's just so many different <laughs> words is, isn't there yeah. but we all it's all the same thing it's all the same we're thing. in the same boat exactly yeah. but before we even get to like what it looks like in different school systems you mentioned you went to varsity to kind of get your qualifications and things. So how how do you become an early years teacher or practitioner in South Africa? Because there's loads of different ways to do yes, it here. Yeah. From what I know, um, there, there's a few ways. I mean, you can go to college, for example, and do a diploma course. You can still, you know, become an early years practitioner or you can go to varsity. And I mean, obviously, every, every university, shall I say, have their own different kind of programs or so. And then obviously the one where I went to, it, it was a four year course and the beginning of your second year you went to um like a nursery nursery school can i say for three weeks to kind of do some practicals to you had some tasks and assignments that you had to do along you know with it just to kind of get a general feel of it and in the beginning of your third year you know you spent three three weeks in on the primary school to get a, a different kind of feel about you know for the older children you know um, mm. up to where the degree you know goes to you know which is because ours is from birth up to nine years old and then um you know then in your fourth year you spend pretty much six months out in schools you know to gain that practical experience because I mean can you just imagine if you finish four years of theory and you just dropped into you know right it's a shock it's a shock yeah (laughs) but then also you get what is called um NQF which is national qualifications framework so that is pretty much small little skill qualifications can I say which is great if you say for example already a teacher and you just want to build up on you know um your skills in different specialized areas for example and you know you can then over a longer period of time build up you know smaller qualifications towards a bigger formal can I say you know qualification as well. I find that really interesting because I kind of did the same as what you did. I did three years at university doing linguistics but then after that instead of doing a four-year course like you did I just did a one-year and it was very much I think I've said before that it was three days but now that I remember it was four days a week in school and one day a week at university and it was literally just like go. Mm, Um, but it was fine because I felt like I was ready for that I had volunteered in my own primary school as soon as I left um, and I knew it was just something that I was ready for I didn't want to spend another three years in a lecture hall for someone to tell me this is what it should look like when we all know Liesl it's not I mean we can have as much theory as we want in the world but it's very different when you get in that classroom and I really wanted to see what it was like and just learn on the job and I'm really interested to know because for me my linguistics degree has really supported my teaching I have like a real passion for uh, communication and language um, supporting multilingual children supporting children with communication and language difficulties and phonics is like my passion so my previous degree I feel really helped me um, understand and 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 help children in the early years in that specific area do you think psychology in your degree in psychology has kind of helped you become 
a better early years teacher? I definitely think so, because like I say, yes, I didn't complete the full course, you know, which was the three years, because my aim, you know, it's nice to say, oh, I've got a five year plan, you know, it doesn't always work like that. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> I would have loved after three years to go into, you know, child, edu- uh, child psychology, you know, I always wanted to work with children. So in a way, yes, I say psychology has helped me because it directed me in the right way where I mm. needed to be, if that makes sense. But um, I definitely also would say, I don't think I've got enough psychological knowledge. With psychology, you still listen a lot, you know, you still have a lot, lots of active listening, which you still have to do with children in many ways yeah, as well, you know. Absolutely. So yes, I, I'm, I'm definitely sure that there are parts from that that I still can take, you know, that I took at least, you know, but um, yeah. See, I think it's a really important point to make because there there might be some um, listeners who are thinking, well, you know, I've done 10 years in in business. Mm -hmm. I've done, you know, my degree in this or that, and I can't be a teacher, but it's quite nice to have us be testaments and be like, well, actually you can, you know, there are still other pathways. You, you can have been working, I don't know, in a company for 20 odd years and suddenly think, you know what, actually my passion is in early years and that's okay. And also like with us, I feel what we've learned before has actually really helped us also become the best practitioners that we can be. Like you say, with your psychology, you've got, you can see when a child needs help, you've got that idea of, okay, well, I can use that. And for example, when I did linguistics, I can spot certain things in perhaps maybe communication and language development that maybe our colleagues might not be able to. And that's also a very good thing. I feel Mm -hmm. like, especially in early years, we, we're working with humans, we're working with children, and we're, we're teaching them life skills, not just academic exactly. skills. So wherever you come from, you have had a life, you have had experience, yeah. whatever you can bring to early years is going to be a benefit. Exactly. And, and I mean, if I can quickly interrupt there, Shana, the thing is also, yes, the qualification is is a must. It is a must because first of all, you work with children and not every person is ideal or, you know, perfect to work with children. If I can put it that way, you have to make sure that you have the right people working with children first and foremost. And yes, if you as a teacher don't have that, then you can't, you know, expect to teach it for children. So yes, Mm -hmm. you need that background. You need that theoretical background, but also Theory can only teach you that much again, like mm-hmm. I said. I mean, I just take again from a mum perspective, you know, you can before beforehand, you know, while I was pregnant, you know, I read books and kind of like, okay, why do I do sleep training mm. this, do that, do that. But uh, that all goes out of the window the minute you hold your own child in your hands, you know, because the person who wrote that book wrote it with their knowledge, their experience, what worked for them. That doesn't necessarily work for me, you know. And I mean, everybody is different. So, you know, And like I said, I remember the first time I walked into my very own classroom where I was the teacher, not the teaching assistant or the student teacher. It was my classroom. I felt like I didn't have a clue what was going on. (laughs) I didn't know, okay, now what is a daily program? Okay, um, what what am I supposed to do now? And I learned all of this at varsity, you know. It's just because this is now... It's literally and figuratively like my baby now, you know, but what do I do? I'm responsible for somebody's child now, you know, and until you actually get into the groove and you get into the whole mojo of the whole thing, you know, and you, you then figure it out for yourself and you figure out where your place is, not just as a teacher, but I'm in charge of these kids. 
How am I going to help and build them, you know, so that they can become little individuals with their own personalities and their own characters, with their own independence? You know, that's what I mean with authority. You know, you're in charge of building these kids, you know, and until you don't really know what works for you. And I mean, every year will differ because every class, every child is different, but you kind of get to know you, you know, you get to know how you operate as a teacher, what works, what doesn't, you know. Mm, You're so right. And it's really exciting to hear your passion about this. Oh, I'm like, I can gosh. so tell she's an early <laughs> as teacher. Like, oh this is gosh, cute. I love them. <laughs> oh, it's cute. Yeah. But then, then there's, like you say, the other side, the theory, aka the curriculum, mm-hmm. or the bane of all of our lives, no matter where we are in, yeah. in the world. I've had a look at yours briefly, but I'm really excited for you to tell me firsthand experience what the curriculum looks like in South Africa. So um, you've got something called CAPS, which is great. And it kind of breaks down the different grades, like Mm. you say. So do you mind talking to me about how the early years stage Mm. is broken down into subjects, so to speak? So, so our early years program, or shall I say early years development phase is pretty much from birth until the age of nine. But oh. the CAPS curriculum only comes into play from the age of um, five, so which is our reception year. So in South Africa, grade R or our reception year is the year that the children turn six. So the year that they're five, six, that's our reception year. And that's where I get confused because my daughter only started reception year, you know, last year, you know, um, in the year that she turns five. So CAPS only starts playing a role from the age of, you know, grade R, can I say the age, the year that they turn six and then onward. But then we have what is called the NCF, is the National Curriculum Framework, which is focused on birth until the age of four. And um, so that basically, it's it's also a curriculum, but it's not as academically kind of like set out like what the CAPS curriculum is, for example, that is a bit more focused on language or literacy, numeracy, um, life skills, you know, and then as the, shall I say, the phases grow, or the like um, intermediate phases more has got like natural sciences, they've got technology, etc. you know. So um, this NCF or National Curriculum Framework, can I say, it's adult orientated in the sense of you as adult are in charge to set pathway, to set up, you know, the classroom, to set up activities and things in order for children to then, and this is where the child's, um, the, the child orientation part comes in, for children then to explore, to um, to develop, to, to kind of play and things, you know. So it's very are much um, focused on children need to learn through play and and that's what's always been very um a very big thing for me as well you know is that children need to learn through play because that's when they learn problem solving they they explore they experience different things and so it's actually really nice because i feel like everyone that i've spoken to so far has said something similar about their curriculum that it is play-based and that makes me feel really happy because i'm like yeah that's that's how i want it to be Mm -hmm. and it's nice to see that it's a global kind of thing like we all recognize that playing is not separate to learning they are not two separate things especially at that young age exactly that's how young children learn is through play yeah Uh, so that's really nice I really want to know more about life skills what's what is that what's that all about okay so life skills is more pretty much okay it, it just depends on obviously you get life skills as in how to tie your shoelaces how to hold a knife and fork correctly that's one form of life skills but then if you look at like the caps curriculum for example from grade r onwards 
that life skills is more it's broken up into different areas you've got um, beginning knowledge and personal development which and, and it's kind of the CAPS curriculum then has set out um, themes can I almost say you know you've got Easter you know special days um, you've got um, plants and seeds you might have um, a space you know it's all the different kind of themes then you've got also um, creative arts that falls under life skills um, that can be performing arts that can be visual arts you know two-dimensional three-dimensional construction kind of artwork and then you've also got basically physical education you know where so that's all part of the um, the CAPS curriculum one but then whereas with um, you know like in nursery schools yes you can do you know um, those kind of things because obviously any any nursery school will do arts and crafts. Yeah. You've got the outdoor play. You do some, you know, physical kind of things with them using flour and making a letter O, for example, and let them kind of like walk on the O on the jump on one leg. So you always integrate. And that's one thing that I always say that I love about nursery school or, you know, early childhood is because you can integrate all these different things, you know, from a theme to literacy to numeracy. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, if you say you've now done the letter O, but I mean, obviously you do the phonics side of it that's already literacy you know let them jump on one leg that's now more a physical education that you 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 kind of draw in there you know so there's so many different ways of integrating all these different things into just say one activity which I loved I love doing that or kind of figuring out how you can integrate all these different elements I don't know how it is in you know in the UK because I've never really seen that as much as what I know in our nursery schools where I've because I've taught in two different nursery schools and in both of them, regardless how different they were, in both of them, we had a theme per week. So this week could be, say, dinosaurs, this week could be space, this week could be um, autumn, you know, and then every class follows that theme. And I mean, the, the, the what's nice about the, the early years is, you know, it's not set in stone, you know, it's, it's more personal. So this school might do autumn this, you know, this week, the next, the next school might do... Um, my family you know so it's you know it's a bit more flexible right yeah very flexible whereas to like the CAPS curriculum is a little bit more set out you know but then you'll also think about your activity you will have a sensory area and generally every day you will change something a bit in the sensory area but it will still go back to the theme so let's use the the topic of autumn for example you'll still have something sensory regarding autumn you know your literacy and numeracy lessons you know that you kind of bring in for that group activities will all have something to do with autumn so you always kind of try to get that theme with every single thing that you do pretty much lesson wise almost if for, for that week can I say no that's really interesting because it's very similar over here I think in that like you say um earlier's curriculum is very flexible and we can lead with the children's interests which is really lovely but then when you get to the national curriculum year one there is very much oh right you learn about the stone age at this point and you learn about there's something in this point whereas in early years I have been in settings where they do follow certain themes and they do like a round robin so that when they make sure it's not covered anywhere else or it's purely child-led where they go right I'm we're not planning anything we're going off the children and what we spark and what we see in them, we will then plan for the week after and we'll set it up based on where that, you know, where they take us. So it's, I think it's quite similar. I'm interested to know, we have private day nurseries, we have private settings and we have nurseries attached to schools and things like that. Is it a similar setup in South Africa? Yeah, so some, I would say yes, uh, some of them are set up to primary schools, but the majority of the ones that are set up to primary schools are pretty much the grade R, which is the reception right. year, because reception is now compulsory for all children before they start schools. They still wear 
you know, non-uniform because mm-hmm. you still need to get dirty, go out and play. So for me, you know, having my own daughter, yes, you look so darn cute. And <laughs> I get the point. I get why they have to wear uniform. But for me, knowing how I grew up and how our children are at school, you know, just having that, it just kind of makes me feel like they have a bit more freedom, even though I know she still plays a lot. She learns a lot, I know, which is, it's kind of like, wow, you guys already do that. And, you know, it's like, no, you're still too small. Don't, don't do it yet, you know. <laughs> yeah. But then you still have um, other settings. You know, you get some setups that's only focused on babies. Um, I know one of them that just pops to my head is called Opti Baby. But, um, you know, so that's pretty much just for like, you know, babies, because a lot of parents in South Africa, they only get, I think it's four months of maternity leave now, if I'm not mistaken. <gasps> so it's not a long oh, time. Wow, that's not a lot of time at all. You know, um, so that's one thing I'm really glad for having my children in the UK, because I'm, I could spend so much time with them as babies before having to return to work. But I mean, you need settings to look after your child, you know, if you yeah. have to back to work and in South Africa because of that reason you know that maternity leave isn't that long you do get a lot of setups where you know they can they take babies from as early as birth Mm. etc do they need a a different qualification because they are dealing with such young like feeding and things like that I assume definitely assume so definitely like first aid courses yeah all of that you know baby baby first aid um gosh wow I didn't know that four months maternity leave goodness wow well another final thing on the curriculum this is something that I've kind of asked a lot of guests from different countries, just because it intrigues me. In terms of reading and writing, is there a focus in the birth to four curriculum or do we wait until we get to CAPS? Like what, what's the kind of the country's set up on reading and writing skills? Yeah, so that's also something that I really find interesting when I have to, if, not that I want to, but that I have to compare with the UK because obviously I see my daughter now going through this. Now, the focus is definitely not on reading and writing. It's more again playing. It's more about mark making for the writing part. You know, um, again, you know, simple things, just mark making and sand or, you know, put a tray of, for example, flour and let them. Mm. I mean, yes, like especially because I used to be a great art teacher. So, yes, we did a lot of phonics. You would introduce the letters. You would always have sight words up around your classroom. So on the door, you would have a word door, you know, so that they can just, they don't necessarily have to read it, but they can associate, okay, this, what I see here must mean door because it's on the door. So you would have all those kind of um, labeling around in your classroom. Yes, you would do, um, say, if you do story time, we love using big books, for example. You yeah. Know, they, can see it. they might not necessarily be able to read it, but it's all that sight reading that they see. Writing, yes, you know, we, we do things where they have to, like, say, follow the line or, you know, all those focus on finding motor skills and things but I mean obviously just as much on you know gross motor because we all know that you know gross motor is first and foremost important before you even want to start doing the fine motor stuff you know mm-hmm. but in comparison to like I say here in the UK you know I see Annabelle she's literally four and a half years old now you know every week she gets different you know words that she has to practice writing and reading and I mean she's capable I'm I'm shocked to see how well she is coping how well she is doing it but in saying that, now that this is something that has always bothered me. And um, I have once seen, you know, it was a doctor of some form of some sort. They took x-rays of a child's hand and then x-ray of an adult's yep. hand. I know where this is going. I feel like I've seen this too. Yes. And after seeing that in terms of, I mean, because we all know that children or babies are born with far more bones than what adults have. 
they fuse together, et cetera, et cetera. And then after seeing this x-ray with the, you know, the child's hand, and, the, and they say that don't teach children too early to write because their hands aren't formed properly yet. Mm-hmm. That is always kind of like just stuck to the back of my head. And I'm just really hoping that none of Annabelle's teachers are listening to this podcast. <laughs> I do use Twinkle. I know that because I've seen Twinkle resources in the, yeah. in the classroom. But I mean, I know that, you know, they say, you know, child must be able to write their names and practice this, practice that. And we do, we do, I do practice the things that they kind of expect us to, you know, but up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Because also like, say, for example, one of her favorite games will be like, mommy, please give me a word so that I can write it. You know, and the one day... um, I said, okay, write the word book. And she she literally spelled it B-U-K. Mm-hmm. And my mom saw it. My mom was like, oh, no, no, look, look, she spelled it wrong. And I was like, I couldn't care less. I couldn't nope. care less. I don't care. I don't care if the B is backwards and looks like a D or uh-huh. what, what, what. For me, it's, first of all, she's trying her hardest. And she's Absolutely. only four and a half years old. And I mean, if that Easter looks like a spiral, she makes it a spiral for all mm-hmm. I care. You know? yep. She will get there when she's ready. You know, I'm yeah. not going to sit there and and say no you're doing it wrong you have to do it this way she's mm. only four and a half so like I said that has always just sat in my head the back of my head and I mean if she's ready to do it like with the reading I am super surprised at how well she's doing with her phonics and how well she's doing with her reading you know because we have to practice reading every day yes she's ready for it then by all means but I'm not going to put a lot of stress and strain on her if she's still only such a small child you know right yeah. this is why I asked this question because with everybody that I've asked so far, England seems to introduce reading and writing a lot earlier than other countries. Yeah. And it interests me because these similar discussions I have in my own mind, and I'm sure Annabelle's teachers also have these same things going on. And it's not that we want to do it. It's that our curriculum is set up to be like, no, they have to read this X amount of words before the end of reception. They have to be able to write letters a certain way before they leave reception. And it's just very counterintuitive in some ways because of the research that, you know, there's a lot out there and other countries are not doing it. So it just makes me question why. But that's really interesting. And I'm glad I've got your perspective as well. You know, yes, you guys have got reception year. We've got reception year. Now in England, the reception year is the year that they turn five. And then in South Africa, the reception is the year that they turn six, which technically is a year further on. It is. Now in this reception year of my daughter, you know, she gets reading homework. So one book every week where we, and with a little notebook where we have to write notes. And then we get like a a phonic sheet um, and they don't get it every single week, but I mean, we get it often enough. And yes, it's not massive words, but there's words, for example, that's now starting to have like the double L at the end, like say, for example, fall. Like, I mean, the book that she's reading this week, for example, has got words like fossil and tickets. And that's long words. Yeah. And like I say, yes, she's doing well. But in saying that, Children in reception in South Africa don't get reading homework. They don't get these phonic homeworks with sheets and the book bags that they have to mm. practice and stuff, you know. But the thing is, now I've got a one and a half year old too. I can't sit and check and, yeah. and do. And then it kind of feels like there's a, oh, please complete this by, you know. And mm. I'd say for a four and a half year old, for me, it just, you know, then she goes to school from pretty much, you know, just before nine o'clock until 3.30. Then she's got an after school club or swimming or something. And then, you know, she gets home, she's tired, she's shattered. It's a that's lot. Four and a half year old, that's a lot. Then you still need to practice phonics. You have to practice yeah. reading. I think if I was born here, raised here, and it's just the norm, yes. But I think because I have the South African kind of way 
Mm. That's what's kind of like stuck with me the whole time where I kind of like. But this is why it's so interesting to have you on and that you ha- your your unique experience is so valuable because just because we've been brought up with it and it's the norm doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. This is the reason I wanted to do this mini series is because how are the people doing it? What can we learn from other settings, other countries? And I think yeah. you bring up a really interesting point that I think a lot of parents and a lot of early years practitioners, if they're not already, we'll be talking about so thank you that was that's really interesting it's just my insight it's not necessarily right either we're all people this is it we're all people we've all got our own different experiences and each and every one of them is valid so thank you for bringing that to us let's get rid of the curriculum right let's get rid of that we've done that we've done plenty of time on that Uh, yeah right Uh, hard work is over what does a typical day in early years in South Africa look like Okay, so yeah, so basically there again, it all depends on each different nursery school yeah, of course. because they will all have their own kind of like daily programs. But each one will primarily have like a what we call a daily program and it, the times can differ. So I'm not really going to add any times or anything like that. But it's usually mainly from, you know, some will open like say it's seven o'clock for parents who work some are only open at eight o'clock so but it's usually where there's like what we call an arrival time when you as a teacher you know you receive the children you know parents drop them off you know and you know it's where you kind of say stop hugging your child are you making it worse just let them go and now I'm a parent and I have to drop off my own child I'm like okay it's it's hard isn't it now you know it's easy to say that but now as a mom it's completely different but yeah Yeah, you're like oh no now I get it Again, different settings will have different ways. Some um, some will provide breakfast and, you know, you will always have your teaching assistant, you know, or I've always been lucky to have a teaching assistant and they will help, you know, also to receive, you know, you help and the assistant help, you know, um, giving the children breakfast, you know, they can start playing indoors. It's free play. We wear even the classroom and each classroom have different, shall I say, setups as well. You've got your fantasy corner, you've got your book corner, your music corner, your block corner. In a carpet area and then after that you know you have your tidy up time and then also like a, re- a toilet routine and just to kind of also get them into a sense of routine and then you have what we call um like a morning ring you know where the children generally sit on the carpet for carpet time you do your weather chart you know you do you know um any birthdays and you know or anything like that during that morning ring um our preschool was re- very um also religion orientated so we were a christian school so we would do like a bible story in the morning to start the day you know know from there whatever the theme is you know for that week so again it's just touch upon the theme of autumn you know you would have your little topic that you will discuss about autumn for that particular morning you know now as a teacher you know we always had to have our you know planning ready the week prior can I say or the Friday prior to the next week and you would have to have a daily program set up for every day what you are planning for the day and it was also very flexible very flexible because we all know Yes, you can plan this for a Monday, but then Monday comes, something happens and that whole day is upside down. And then Thursday's activities might work better for the Monday. So you just pop it around. So it's always been very flexible and that's really quite nice as well, that it's not that set in stone. Children will then have like what we call free play outside. And again, in South Africa, because you have to keep in mind the weather as well. Now, summers can get extremely hot, extremely hot. So it also depends on the time of year. So if it is a really, really hot period, it might swap around. So what used to be, say, the 
the free play outdoors might become the free play indoors just because it might be the hottest time of the day. Again, like I say, every setting is different. But then generally it will be like a free play outdoors where the kids can just play freely outside. Teachers would be outside in different stations to supervise, make sure the kids are okay. Obviously make sure they wear hats and sun cream and those mm-hmm. kinds of things as well. After that, come inside again for toilet routine and then a snack time. Um, and then you would have a group activity. So it could be anything. Again, this is where I love to integrate stuff. So you would have an activity that would integrate a bit of numeracy, a little bit of literacy, a little bit of, you know, you, you get what I mean. But I think that's a bit more structured, a, a structured activity where the children, it's children orientated, can I say. And then after that, it's free play indoors. And that's where they then go crazy. You know, where if I want to read, I want to read. If I want to go play with the Play-Doh, I play Play-Doh, etc. you know, and so. And then um, some schools might have another activity, some not. And then, you know, you have toilet routine again. Um, most of them have their lunch time. Now, a lot of settings provide lunch, you know, which is great for parents, especially if you don't want to pack your lunchbox every day day some do pack their own lunchbox because children might have allergies um, mm-hmm. dietary needs some just prefer packing their own lunch boxes rather than eating the school lunch and then obviously after that again a toilet routine um, and then for the younger ones they tend to still sleep but the older ones and that's something that I also find quite I know Annabelle still needs at her age she needs a little bit of quiet time which mm. they don't have here you know but even our reception year which is the year they turn six is you know you put on some quiet music music even if they don't want to sleep they still each have their own um, dedicated mattress you know with their names on that we hand out to them they can find a spot and if they don't want to sleep they can just grab a book and they can lie down nicely and just just have that calm down time that sounds divine yeah Yeah. I want that (laughs) but it's generally just that kind of breakup because it's so full on I mean Playing is still exhausting, you know. I right. Can, yeah, yeah, it's still exhausting, you know. Um, oh, we know. I mean, even as adults, we come home and we're absolutely floored, aren't we? So you just need that half an hour break, exactly. Yeah. And um, and then after that, most of the children go home, and those who don't go home then generally have like aftercare. So that that is pretty much what I say a day in the life of a you know early years are. Teachers tend to be in school earlier before the kids arrive, so that your class is set up and ready. You know, I remember the last school where I was. Every Monday we stayed at school until five o'clock because then we had our meeting can I say you know we discussed you know what we're doing what we're planning things that's coming up whether it's grandpa grandma day um if it's valentine's then we have to all decorate our classes and things like that just to get all that kind of formalities out of the way but then you know the rest of the week when it's two o'clock when the main program can I say is over then we get to go home but that's when we then obviously start planning for the next week i was gonna say that's when you start your other work of working for the before we knew about twinkle before we knew about twinkle you had to do everything from scratch and you have a life yeah yeah bless you yeah yeah now that's really interesting thank you for sharing um it's nice to hear some similarities on our own sort of days as well which is cute but before we end our episode by playing a game (laughs) what is your favorite thing about being an earliest teacher in south africa Oh, gosh, I think, Shana, I have to say is being able to be a teacher to such a big diversity, can I say, and different cultures, because we are so lucky to, like, we have 11 official languages, you know. That's amazing um, to me. I love that. And I remember the first school where I taught for four years. We had so many of our own local, you know, cultures and so, but it was also a school that had, it was set up, you know, in a city where there was a lot of embassies. So we got a lot of different ambassadors' children from Egypt 
Egypt, to we had from France, we've had from Iran. You know, it was it was amazing. But I mean, but not just that. You know, to to be able to learn more about your own own country's people. You know, who you know, you might not be the same um, race or culture or so. But and the kids, kids are just kids, and I think mm. that's what's the best part is to just being brought back to earth to realize, you know, that we are all the same. You know, no matter who you are, what color you are, you know. Every child is still a child. And the fact that you can see all these different children playing with one another, not having a care in the world as to who we are, what we are, what we do, you know, what we say, because in the end, not even language is, an, is a barrier between them, you know. And that's, I think, the, the best thing is being able to sit there and to watch these children being so innocent. And I think that kind of is what touches you as a teacher or as an adult to actually make you feel guilty for all the small things that as, as adults, what we do, you know, we generalize. I mean, sometimes it's easy to, to say that, oh, Lisa, you don't sound like you um you know, you, you can do anything or say anything wrong, but I mean, we're all human, you know, you can subconsciously think, oh gosh, you know, now I've, now I've got to do this again, or, oh my word, this is going to be so difficult. But then I think, look at this child, say for example, you know, and I mean, I'll never forget it. This is a story I have to share with you. We had a little girl, she was born with special needs. Uh, she, she literally was only born with thumbs. And I remember, and she was, I think three years old or four years old, four years old. So she wasn't in my class even. And she, she had, um, a lot of issues with her joints, her elbows, so she couldn't even straighten her arms. So, I mean, let alone just to hold a crayon to draw mm. something. But she managed. She she tried her very hardest, you know. And I remember the children in my class were saying, um, oh, teacher, we're not going to play with her, you know. And you could already see, you know, children can sometimes be really nasty. And, so, mm. so. and I dropped everything. And I said to them, okay, guys, I want you all to please only use your thumbs and hold your crayons. And I want you guys to draw me the best picture that comes into your head right now. And they tried and they were like, oh, teacher, we can't do it. It's so difficult and stuff. And I'm like, but this little girl, she can. She's not complaining about it and stuff, you know. So we focused that whole lesson about, okay, she's different to how you might be or you might be, but look what she can do. You, you can't do it. So how can we, how, how does that balance out kind of thing? And it was so amazing to see that that playtime, how the older kids actually then went to go and play with her, how just how they kind of, perception also kind of changed and I'll never forget the one child in my class she actually took a skipping rope and that it was a I remember the plastic handle of the skipping rope is literally had it it was hollow so she still actually put it over the little girl's thumb so that the girl could hold it you know if I can put oh. it that way and she stood on the other end and swung it with her and I'll never ever forget that picture in my life how she made a plan to involve this little girl as well you know and for me it's, it's that kind of moment and I'm talking about like 10 years ago 12 years ago and I can remember that story as clear as yesterday so I think that's what makes it really special is the fact that you know you can see children from different perspectives you know and just how they develop honestly my heart is bursting right now but yeah we could learn so much from children can't we and we can we're just honestly. oh I adore this thank yeah. you oh no you're welcome you're all... are you ready to play a game oh gosh yeah just make it don't make it too too day. <laughs> No, it's not, no trick questions, don't worry. It's like, you know, there's no point system or anything. Don't oh, worry. Good, good. So, 
<laughs> so at the end of every episode, what I do with my guests is I play a Would You Rather Teacher Edition. And because you are wonderfully a teacher from South Africa, we're going to make the questions relatable to you so we get to know you a bit more. <laughs> all right. But the first question is always the same. Would you rather tea or coffee? Coffee. that's a must that's a must there's no there's no room for tea to slip through there's no room i mean and i do drink tea but it's more like for medicinal purposes that'll be rooibos with some honey and lemon but yes coffee coffee first she can't live without a coffee all right that was a quick fire there's no room for error here (laughs) i love it okay now this one reading it makes me laugh and this must be i need some context behind this one would you rather be chased by a lion or an elephant does this happen regularly in south africa what am i missing oh gosh oh gosh okay well it does happen because you do (gasps) your your idiotes who um don't really adhere to rules and things like that Um, right when they go on safari so they yeah it can definitely happen i myself have a a rather nasty experience but um oh no i have a massive fear for lions i actually really really do and the main reason for that was i was about gosh 13 or 14 um and my grandparents actually took us on safari now where we stayed we 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 were very lucky yes it was um in johannesburg or the outskirts of johannesburg but there's so many different areas where you've got game reserves and stuff so you can just drive half an hour 40 minutes you know and you can like literally go for a day safari you know so and there's one particular area had um lions and they specifically say you know this you know and i mean it's open the lions can you know it's not like they're in cages you have to drive through to and try and spot them and stuff but um and they particularly say you know obviously don't open your windows more than like 20 percent you know and if you get close to a lion don't hover around too long because sometimes they can attack the cars and stuff it all depends if it's mating season etc yeah and i remember we were driving and driving and we just didn't see anything and i got so bored so i rolled the whole screen down and i literally hung out of the window just like literally swinging my arm to and fro and murphy's law there was a lion male lion right right next to me <gasps> and I remember jumping back in and I was in, I was hysterical, hysterical. And, you know, my grandpa's like, what, what, what? You know, I was like, but I was so hysterical. I could hardly get my words out. And, you know, my grandfather reversed the car and he was lying there. And luckily he was in a very calm mood, very, very calm mood. How I managed not to stroke him in terms of, you know, just swinging my arm from boredom and stuff, you know, how I, but I mean, I still remember that eyes of that lion it was huge it was and since that day i've got a massive fear massive fear for lions i do not blame you oh my god but in saying with regards to your question um practically wise i'd rather be chased by a lion well because they say now thankfully i've never been you know in a lion's way where he chased me down but they do say that if a lion chases you you have to stand your ground literally stand your ground stare him in the eyes and wave your arms like really and scream at the topmost of your voice because right. most of the times they it will be like a mock charge where they will kind of like stop short and then just right. turn away whereas to elephants it's very difficult to to read an elephant yes they can do mock charges but a lot of times they don't and if they don't they don't stop they don't stop wow elephants as you know the African elephant they are the biggest land mammal and um, I was lucky you know we got married in South Africa on a game reserve and we still have wedding photos right next to elephants they're huge you know you feel small when you put your hand up against them you know and they're massive so um, 
I mean, I've got, I love lions. They're beautiful creatures, but I've got a massive fear of them. I think I would rather be, not to say I would stand my ground if one really chases me. I, I probably <laughs> would run first, but, but I think, yeah, I think I would rather be chased by a lion rather than an elephant. Wow. That would, that, I did not think that was going to go where it went, but wow. Okay. Yeah. Now I feel more prepared. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Put it this way. Put it this way. I'm a very, I say stupidly brave person. I love going on safaris <laughs> and things like that. And um, and but I, and I've been on numerous bushwalks and stuff. But it's always when I when I decide to go on a bushwalk, I always tend to think, hmm, should I put a piece of steak or something sneakily in the guy's back in a backpack in front of me, just so that the focus is more on somebody yeah. else rather than me? So I always I always have like that thought in my head. I know it sounds yeah. bad, but um, I always kind of like think, okay, should I do something like that? But wow. yeah, yeah. See, I went to I've been to South Africa. I've been to oh, Durban wow. and I went to a game reserve, I believe, in Umschlange. Oh, yeah. And it was huge and it was incredible. And we saw lions. But you know what excited me the most? Giraffes. Oh, really? Oh, they're my we favorite. We were like, animals. we need to see a giraffe. Oh. Like, me, I was in this um, buggy or, you know, car with a group of friends and we were like, what do we want to see before we leave? And it wasn't lions. It wasn't this. It was, we want to see a giraffe. <laughs> And we did. It took us hours. We were driving around like, and we had walkie talkies. Like, has anyone else seen a, a giraffe? Where is it? Where should we go? And it was so funny. But yeah, I mean, I adore elephants. I think they're incredibly they're majestic, yeah. intelligent, empathetic, gorgeous yeah. creatures. But that's all. I don't know what I'd pick. I'm I'm stuck. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I think also, especially, you know, if you grow up close to nature, because we were, we were lucky in the sense to growing up really close to nature. You know, we went on safari a lot. You know, we had family who, you know, were game rangers, you know, in the wow. Kruger National Park and things like that. So, you know, so you get to learn nature. You get to appreciate nature and stuff. So as opposed to, you know, if you, like, don't know the things, you don't know how to read the animals and stuff, that does make it tricky. I still wouldn't want to be in one of those situations. Yeah, right? Neither are, neither are great. <laughs> you know for sure to tell you yes I want to be chased yeah. by an elephant yes no I'd rather be yeah. chased by a lion but yeah <laughs> I love it I love it okay last one my favorite because it's about food and I love food now your barbecue in South Africa is called a braai and I love a braai did I say that right did I roll yeah. the r properly you did yes. I've been practicing <laughs> and guys if you have not had a South African braai oh my it's literally the best thing ever I could eat braai for the rest of my life yeah. and die happy oh. but you've got to make a choice now would you rather for your braai have lamb chops or oh no but i've forgotten how to say it bora 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 yeah there we go i know what a bora is because it's divine and i've had it but for our lovely listeners please explain what a bora is oh gosh i want to cry because i've not had bora in such a long time so bora it is sausage but it's sausage unlike i mean if you live in the uk and you eat pork sausage it's not the same it's not honestly it's painful if you have to eat sausage in the uk because bora it's um it's a, it's a lot coarser the meat is a lot more coarser and it tends to be beef most of the time which i really do miss because i mean it's just pork sausage here in the uk most of the time but also you know it's it's a lot coarser and then also i want to say a lot thicker as well it's a, it's a 
Because it sausage. Is. It's a chunky yeah. sausage. It's a, it's a luxurious sausage. It is. And then, but you, I mean, we even have, you know how you get Tesco's and stuff here in um, the UK? We have Checkers as one of um, the local supermarkets in South Africa. And they used to have like a Checkers um, Budavosh competition where people could like <gasps> enter and make their own Budavosh with different flavors and different things. Oh um, yeah. So, but one of my favorite ones that I, oh gosh, I used to love it so much. I say used to, I do still, but I mean, you just don't get it so much here in the UK is um it's a cheese one you know but obviously if you cut into it you know just cheese coming out you know and also it's because obviously you have to add you know like fat inside you know with any yeah. sausage that you make you have yes yeah, so where the flavor yeah, is exactly but the, you would get like chunks of fat I don't know how to explain it it's just something completely different to Budavosh than what you would get just a normal sausage you know right honestly yes. it's one of those things like once you have one every other sausage is 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 nothing it's, compared it's not and not just because i'm south african it, they, it just is something to budavosh and i think this is in a way a very easy question to answer because yes i love a lamb chop i love it so much but you know if i have to answer it you know a lamb chop you can buy very easily at tesco's you know you can whereas budavosh isn't you know and yeah and we tend to do like a south african shop every you know now and then as well you know and it's pricey, so we don't do it so often. But when we do, we order Budavosh. So I think my answer would definitely be Budavosh, you know. And I'm so with you. I am absolutely starving right now, and it's my own, it's my own fault. I feel oh emotional. God. Oh, I'm <laughs> that's sorry. no, no, no. That's just that's how much I love it. Yeah, it is that delicious. It Honestly, is. guys, I just if you haven't had one, listeners, go and go and get yourself one because. And there's quite a few South African shops, you know, around the UK that you can order it from, along with the biltong and the drivels and... Oh. oh my God, stop. Okay, you know what? We need to end this episode because I need to go to the shop and get myself some braai food. You should have a podcast on international foods. That's what you should do. Oh my God, stop <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today you have taught me so much and we've had a really good laugh it was really lovely thank you shana yeah thank you for having me no you're so welcome right i'm gonna go off and uh, go and get myself some border wash um and i'll uh, speak to you soon okay but you have a lovely day and take care okay you too bye bye Amazing. Thanks so much to Liesl for coming onto the show and talking to us about South Africa. She's so lovely and so passionate about the early years. And she's got a really interesting perspective coming from South Africa, but also being a parent of a child who's using the English curriculum and looking at those differences that she's seen. So that was really exciting. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've learned a lot. Has anyone else uh, taught in South Africa and want to tell me what it's about? Sounds very exciting. Sounds really lovely. I'd love to go and check it out myself. But luckily, we've got the podcast so I can talk to people about it. If you know anybody else or if you yourself have taught abroad and you'd like to come on and tell everybody about it, please get in touch. You know where to find me. We are on TikTok. Facebook, Instagram. I would absolutely love to hear your stories. But for now, that is the end of the episode. Tune in next time where you will get to hear a live interview with Delia from Twinkle Mexico on TikTok to talk about what it's like to teach early years in Mexico. Until next time, I'll see you then. Bye.
So that's it from today's episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to get involved or would like to know more, come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and TikTok account. All of the details will be in the description. And whatever you're doing, I hope you have a great day today.